Hello, and welcome to Talk Talk, the podcast for the media by us. My name is Brent, and I'm here today with Chris. Hello. TJ. Hello. And special guest Chad. Chad. Hi. Uh, we're going to be talking about things we've been watching lately, and then follow that up with a little uh, dip into recent news, if there is any. And we'll finish up by telling you, not suggesting, but telling you, ordering you. what you will go see <laughs> at the movie theater this weekend. Cool. So, you can deal with it. Nice. Who's going first? (laughs) Well, you always decide, don't you? I would like for Chris to go first. Okay. Uh, Is it because I deferred to you deciding? (laughs) You were the first person I looked at. (laughs) Okay. It's helpful that I'm sitting across from you then. Yep. Okay, I watched uh, four movies this week, which is a a ripe change from last two weeks where I literally watched nothing but the homework. Um, I watched... Uh, kind of in the awards bend, all 2018 movies. Nice. Um, and I'm going to start with the one that is, I think, most likely to get nominated for something. I watched the uh, official Danish foreign language entry for the Oscars, uh, Den Skilge, <laughs> uh, or The Guilty. The Guilty. Uh, this movie is available on Amazon for a few bucks. Uh, and it's a really neat movie, uh, directed by Gustav Muller. Um, but it's about a, a 911 call center operator. It's a former uh, like beat cop who is punished and put in this call center. And it stays in the call center the entire time. But it is about him solving and getting police attention to an abduction. Uh, he gets a call from a woman who is like scared and crying. And it is clear that she has been abducted by somebody... And she is trying, and he is trying to get uh, the cops to find this woman and her abductor before some imaginary unknown clock runs out. Um, you know, I think all of our basic understanding of like the first forty-eight. Um, he's he's just he's trying to get her found, but only within the bounds of this call center. Um, <clears throat> it is a really interesting movie. Uh, it is a thrillery thriller. In the best sense. Cool. Um, and I always have a hard time evaluating acting with foreign languages, but I think that, that the the lead, uh, uh, Jakob Sedergren, is really good. Because uh, <clears throat> it is it is mostly just him and then phone calls um, with this woman and with like kind of people around her. Um, throughout the movie, they kind of unravel why he's being punished by writing a desk and answering phones. Uh, and there's a little bit of a story that gets unwoven there um, that's interesting, uh, kind of dealing with like police corruption and uh, <clears throat> uh, his history, his like you know his failed marriage and stuff. Sounds really interesting. Yeah, you get, sold me. <laughs> it's 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 really cool. There's and there's some some great kind of cheap cinematography tricks that they use. Um, you know, he's working a graveyard shift, and the whole call center is. Uh, lit up, but there's a room that no one's in, I guess because it's the nighttime where all of the lights are off. But when there's a call connected to someone, the, in case you're wondering, the emergency number for Denmark is 112. Hmm. Um, <laughs> the, uh, there's a red light that, that turns on. So whenever he's on the phone with someone, all of a sudden the room turns red. And it's like this really intense kind of investigation, like trying to get details out of her. Like, 
where are you? Like, do you know this guy? Like, what, what kind of car are you in? Because they're in a car driving around, so they can't just, like, ping a cell tower. Um, and then, you know, when he flips back over to talking to the cops, like, okay, this is what she said. This is where she is, you know. And then the stuff he doesn't communicate, like, talks to his old partner about, like, you know, hey, go break this guy's door down. Go look. Like, look for clues. Where are they going? Um, Does it it's all, all take place in the call center? Yeah. And the mystery is kind of evolve uh you're digging into it through just dialogue yeah it is just dialogue and i don't want to give too much away um not that there's a big twist but there's there are details which are you know the the nature of people are being communicated in a time of panic uh so as a call operator it, it kind of gets into that idea of, you know, and I'm not justifying it and I'm not t- bringing politics into it, but like when you hear stories about like, well, how did the SWAT team flashbang that house when there was just a baby inside? Where it's like, well, these call operators only get the details they're given by the people who are choosing to call. Right. So there's, there's, some, there's some questions to the reliability of some of the people. And they establish that early because he doesn't just, his first call isn't this woman. His first call is like a guy who's in the red light district and he's like, uh, like someone stole my cash. Like I need you to send a car down here. And he's like, where are you? He tells him the intersection. He's like, yeah, you're in the red light district. You got robbed by a hooker. He's like, we're not sending someone out immediately. Like you knew, you knew what could happen. Like you're in a dangerous part of town. Um, and you're a tourist. So like, you know, we'll send someone. And then he calls the cops, the dispatch. And he's like, I don't know, make them wait. Because so it, it sets up early on that there's, you know, that calling nine one one or one one two is voluntary and could be motivated. Nice. But it's a really interesting movie. Uh, it's it's best foreign language is so hard to predict. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's lots of there are times when there's like political statements that <laughs> are in. There's the they're hard to pick up on too. From yeah yeah. Um, so I mean, this could be like a, a wild criticism of like emergency response um, in the EU, and I just have no fucking context. Right. But evaluating it just on the plot and the acting and the cinematography and all the filmy shit, um, it's a good movie. Um, I gave it a certain number of stars. <laughs> I gave it four stars. Yes. Uh, it was really good. It reminds me a lot of a movie Pontypool, where it kind of yes. takes yeah. place in a radio station, and the fact that how that. M- I don't know if it's the same, but they would describe the horrors, and it was allowing you to image. They would never show it, read the book. but it would allow you your my own imagination to uh, bring forth all these like grotesque and horrible things that could happen without actually seeing it. Yeah. So you're creating the actual horror scenes in your own head. Have you seen Pony Pool? It was really good. Mm. It is. It is a sleeper never, like indie budget horror movie. I've never heard of it. Yeah, really it came out two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, it was. Longer than that. It's like maybe five years ago. Maybe. It came out. I think that's when I saw it. I saw it in one of my, you know, how I kind of obsessed about watching Halloween movies or scary movies around Halloween. That's <clears throat> when I watched it. I was in uh, was school at the time. I wanted to say. Might be, yeah. But, yeah, that's good. But, um, yeah, and, and if you haven't seen either of those and you want a reference point. Babadook. It came out with Babadook. Babadook. And if you want a reference point, it's, it's similar to the movie Phone Booth. Okay. Where like all the action is so contained mm-hmm. and it's all just through like dialogue and threat and anticipation 
um, and it's it's more effective than than a phone booth, um, but. It's, it's really good, and I would recommend it, especially if you are a crazy person and chase Oscar noms. Even before, like, the field for foreign languages is 78 movies, and I'm fucking watching some of them. Which is an audacious choice. But the next movie I watched, uh, after talking about the Independent Spirit Awards, I got motivated uh, for the next two movies that I watched. Um, but the one that I will start with is uh, the movie Private Life. Oh, it's nice. uh, Paul Giamatti, Catherine Hahn. Uh, Young actress uh, Kaylee Carter. She hasn't really been in a ton yet. Is it the movie where they're trying to have a baby? Yeah, okay. it's a movie. Um, uh, Paul Giamatti is a is an aging uh, playwright, and Catherine Hahn is a uh, literary critic uh, living in New York. And they decide that they want to have a child, and they're having conception problems. And it's kind of that like Noah Baumbachian small. Uh, privileged New York story about war. yeah yes. about this like well-to-do couple who is facing the problems of being you know kind of a, a, a microscope placed on how like how is it possible that rich people still have problems it's like a upper east side drama yeah um, it's good uh, Paul Giamatti is fantastic Catherine Hahn is fantastic Kaylee Carter is fantastic um, it's a little bougie and that's 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 a criticism and I know that comes from my bias um but it's it's also a focus of the movie. It's directed by Tamara Jenkins. Uh, it's a little bit of a focus of the movie. Kaylee Carter is the cousin, not by blood, of Paul Giamatti, who they kind of take in and decide, like, well, she could be the surrogate. Um, she kind of comments that they're like... I forget the, 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 the quote, but the line is essentially, oh, with your laptops and your big dogs in your small, crowded flat in a dangerous part of town, that's the ideal people hope for. Um, you know, people romanticize this life, which is, you know, kind of kind of a, 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 a jape at that, you know, H&M lifestyle in, in New York City. Right. Um, but it's good. It's, it's, it's great acting. Um, they're very emotional because, you know, it's, it's obviously dealing with loss and, you know, the... In, not incontinence, um, but the you know the 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 degendering of the uh, main characters in their like struggle with like well like how am I going to be a suitable father if I can't you know conceive how can I be a suitable mother if I'm not the one carrying the egg like what would this like new family member be a um, little outside of my uh, range I could at best be empathetic with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's good. It's well acted. Yeah, big fan of Catherine Hahn. Lately. Yeah. I, think that's, I gave that three and a half stars. Is that on Netflix? That is on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Okay. And then the other movie I watched because of the Spirit Awards, it picked up a couple, um, is the... Uh, came out in Festival Circuit in 2017, but official release in 2018. Brent saw it earlier this year in theaters. It is uh, director Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here. It is starring Joaquin Phoenix and basically no one else. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was good. Um, if this is the year of satisfying revenge movies, this is in it. This yep. is in that genre. Have you seen it? Yes. I nice. It. Um, I thought that Joaquin Phoenix does a great job at playing like an unhinged sociopath. Imagine <laughs> <laughs> so, it. Yeah. So... <laughs> So when they announced that he was cast as the Joker, it was just kind of like, okay, yeah, it makes sense. 
Yeah, like, I think I even made a reference to that at one point, which was just, when I heard what the new Joker movie was going to be, I just thought, so, they're basically just remaking the movie he just made, but painting some makeup on him. Yeah, if if Yo-Yo Ma is an artist with the cello, the main character in You Were Never Really Here is an artist with the ball-peen hammer. Oh my god. <laughs> like, yeah. yes. it's, it is pretty gruesome. I won't get into the plot, because I know we've talked about it at some point on here. But um, I did want to highlight one thing. Uh, the score in it is jarring and kind of great. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is a war veteran who hasn't really been given all the tools to put his life and his mind back together. I do remember the score. It just hit me now that I remember sitting in the theater thinking, this score is fantastic. It is. It is where there is dissonance in the... Uh, Jackie soundtrack. Mm-hmm. This movie takes it a step further. Is is, yeah. I, <laughs> but it but it's so fitting. No, I mean I, the Jackie soundtrack was great. It's just unnerving. It's, it's whenever it's Joaquin Phoenix kind of alone with his thoughts. It is just this like cacophony, and of stuff that is of of music that is probably theoretically still woven together like artfully. Um, as a layperson, I think artfully in the sense that you know there is no cohesion at all in the notes that are being played. I described it in the break of one of the podcasts uh, as it's like telling an alien who doesn't have a concept of what music is that music is a series of notes and them not understanding that there needs to be a connection between those notes and just smashing together sounds. And then that's what you get as the score for kind of the motif for Joaquin Phoenix's character. Um, but it's good. It's surprising. Um, it, and it is a brisk movie. Um, there's some 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 great small scenes with Joaquin Phoenix um, kind of exhibiting his inability to have human connection through emotion and more through action. Um, and it's... <clears throat> It's just, it's 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 interesting, um, and I liked it. So that's nice. why I wanted to talk about it again. Sweet. And one last movie, and this is one where I'm happy that we have filled the fourth chair. I watched the Coen Brothers film, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and I understand, Chad, you watched it too. Yes, it was excellent. Uh, really enjoyed it. Um, Starts off very lighthearted, I think. Uh, the, yeah. Bringing back the seeing, seeing cowboys. cowboys. Yeah, it was very fun. Although I do think of the, I don't know, parts, vignettes. Um, Liam Neeson's one was probably my favorite. And it was a little dark, it was a little more bleak, but I thought it was just beautifully shot and well acted out. Nice. Yeah, if you... so. Each of the stories, it's it's a it's a Western anthology. Yeah. Each of the stories, uh, it's like it, you know they have the frame of a book turning pages, um, have different titles to them. And Meal Ticket, which is the one with Liam Neeson, is at, is on the top of a lot of people's lists. Um, How many are there? Six. Six. There's six. Cool. Um, there's no there's no real like connective tissue between the stories. Um, except for the setting, um, which, I, you know, we've, we've talked about a setting or location as a character and the thing this is, you know, it just kind of has to be by the nature of it being the only thing. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's, there's one character 
who who crosses between the two stories. I noticed that um, so the guy who goes, "You killed my brother." In the first one, the actual Ballad of Buster Scruggs, mm-hmm. he appears later, but it's not important. Mm. Um, it might just be they ran out of actors. Um, because this movie, Tim Blake Nelson, James Franco, Liam Neeson, Tom Waits, Zoe Kazan, Brendan Gleeson, like, Stephen Root, like, there's David Krumholtz, like, there's a ton of people in this movie. Um, almost like the Coen brothers had been building a list of, like, people who want to work with us, like, let's just yeah. clear that, <laughs> clear that list out. It's like all of Hollywood, roughly. Yeah. yeah. There's a really good interview on uh, Fresh Air with Terry Gross with Joel Cohen, <clears throat> and he talks about filming the, I haven't seen it yet, but the uh, wagon train scene, and that was the hardest thing he's ever shot, just because it was literally a wagon train that was, you know, 5,000 feet long. Like, it was massive, and he just couldn't, like, by the time he was ready to shoot and had the first one moving, the last one was still stuck there. And that oxens are actually stubborn. Oxens. Oxen. <laughs> um, so, David, actually, to represent his views, has a, has his review up on Letterboxd, which for some reason he's not putting on our website. Uh, David, this is for you. Um, <coughs> but he, he, raced, he rated it. We haven't been doing it this year, but we used to ask how Coen Brothers a movie is. Right. <laughs> so David's, David made his list of uh, most to least Cohen on the Cohen scale, uh, and then ended it with uh, his order uh, of what he liked the best is basically the opposite. Um, but how Cohen did he say this was? Well, it's a variety. Um, oh, and that's different the thing. Yeah. yeah, there there are definitely some like Ballad of Buster Scruggs. That the initial tale is super fucking weird. This this is like Hail Caesar era Cohen Brothers, like simple man Cohen Brothers. Um, whereas, uh, later on with, not later on, but all gold Canyon, the one starring basically a solo Tom Waits, um, is more akin to like no country for old men in it's like simplism and brutalism, mm-hmm. um, simplism, simplicity. Um, and the gal who got rattled is, um, I haven't seen inside Lewis and Davis, but it's, it is just like a story told through. Without any like strangeness, it's mine too. <laughs> um, I didn't love it because I thought that the lows were pretty low. Um, like near Algodones, the um, the one with James Franco, mm-hmm. I was like, I thought that was okay. Um, but as soon as you get, you, as soon as you take that bite, it's over. Yeah, it was it was the one that uh, probably didn't pull the least amount from me. It was it was it was funny in parts, and then I think it tried to end on a serious bend. Like a yeah, I, that one just flew over my head. I, yeah, I really didn't get a lot out of it. Yeah, it, other than a chuckle or two with the pot man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Reed is great. Uh, not spoiling it because of the the it. It has the, it shows the title in the book and then it turns the page and it shows an illustration from that story, and there's a point where Stephen Root, uh, as a like makeshift like bulletproof suit, just ties a bunch of cast iron pans to him, <laughs> and anytime he gets shot in a pan, goes pan shot. <laughs> and then I think probably the reason why I only gave it three and a half stars and not four 
because I did sincerely like a couple of those stories. I really liked Meal Ticket, the Liam Neeson one. Mm-hmm. Really liked the Tom Waits one. Mm-hmm. I'm predisposed to. And then really liked the Wagon Train one with Zoe Kazan. Yes. Um, is that it ended with The Mortal Remains. And I thought that that was the weakest one. Uh, it's Brendan Gleeson and uh, David Krumholtz. Uh, and it's, it is a strange, very Cohen-esque dialogue about um, life and death. And you've got like an actor to uh, a performer, a like philosopher, mm-hmm. and then you've got these two guys who are uh, undertakers. And it's just one long carriage ride, um, all of them talking. Oh, a trapper. I forgot about the trapper. Uh, one of them's a trapper, not an entertainer, but he's a trapper. Uh, kind of just talking about everyone's philosophy on life and death and love. And it just misses to me. Yeah, it, <clears throat> to me, the way I kind of read into it is the, the, the three characters the that you said. That yeah, the philosopher, the 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 actor, and the uh, the trapper. Yeah. The trapper, as the as they're riding with the undertakers, it's it's almost as if they're having a slow realization that they're all three dead and yeah. taken to some unknown place, which they get to at the end, but. Uh, yeah, it was good. Um, as bad as far as I can Yeah, I, 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 just, I just don't like it as a bookend with the Ballad of Buster Scruggs as the opening. Because yeah. the opening is just, it's, it's just strong. It's just wild. Um, but, but you recommend people check it out? Definitely check it out. You're, you're, you're going to find at least two of them that you really like. Mm-hmm. Nice. How long is the whole thing with all six parts? Two hours. That's okay. Not bad. Two hours and there are varying lengths. So if you, there's something that you're not digging, you're going to be moving on from it fairly yeah. quickly. Skip ahead. Yeah. Chapter breaks are pretty obvious. Yeah. You know? Nice. nice. What else you watch? That's it. That's me. That's me in, uh, in the four movies that I saw. Well, I think TJ has a short list. Yeah, I've got one movie and I know we've all seen it multiple times and I really want to talk about one aspect of it that particularly blew Cassandra and me away on Thanksgiving. But it was... Uh, we watched The Wizard of Oz, which is always on, like, marathon on Thanksgiving every year. And we sat down and watched it when we were eating dinner and, like, cleaning up stuff. And decided that we have absolutely no idea how the special effects were achieved in that movie. In 1939. Like. Physically, you were trying to think about the film. I, and- I couldn't figure it out, man. Like, the, the witch disappearing in the middle of the road, like, could be achieved with a trap door or a cut. But there's not one there that I see. And I see a lot of those in movies from the 30s and 40s. You know what I mean? And then there's Glinda in the ball, like, moving away. Like, it's not it's not like it holds up today, but for the 30s, I was just completely shocked. It's like uh, the uh, Fritz Lang movie we watched. Metropolis? Yeah, Metropolis. Yeah, that even, though, came across more as, like, so grand. Like, holy shit, he just put a ton of money and time into building this vast set. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I was thinking of the scene where the robot turns into the woman. Yeah. I guess I have more of an idea how that's done, maybe? Like, I feel like you could splice film with that. I could be totally wrong and dumb. But just like, image, 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 image. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. I just thought that's what they did in Wizard of Oz. For what? For, I don't know, all the the hard-to-do things. Yeah, except there's no, like, so that in, in... um, Metropolis. Metropolis. 
I feel like it was like, here's a shot of a robot, here's a shot of a woman, and they just ran them quickly. Oh, that there was no other moving parts right. involved. Yeah. And in this, you get a ball floating around a screen with a bunch of munchkins, and I was just like, I don't know how they did that. Like, I have no idea. And like, her, th- she throws fire. It looks pretty real. In 1939. Would have probably won the best uh, visual effects Oscar. Yeah, had well that, that been around. That's one thing. Was watching it, I was like, "Oh, I finally am not paying attention to the story or the songs, which are great, but I'm paying attention to this." And it's like, "Oh, that's why people like had their minds blown in 1939." Yeah, she's literally throwing fire, and it looks real. No, like it's crazy. Also, the makeup, like the scarecrow's face, is kind of creepy. Yeah, and how it like ties in, and it looks like it's just a bag on his head. I mean, he's got that rope around it, which is probably good because that's where the seam is. I'm sure. Yeah, but just the impact of the scene when <clears throat> Dorothy opens the door from their black and white cabin, revealing the it's all the color outside. Beautiful, yeah, amazing. And just I don't know, probably my favorite musical actually because the songs are so good. <clears throat> the little reprise of Yellow Brick Road is fucking fantastic. Who knew Elton John was so old? <laughs> Maybe I'll have this. <laughs> He's six month old, right? But yeah, um, it's like two babies. It's just him and baby Bernie talking. <laughs> just banging on a full keyboard. The, the oft forgotten "Hello Yellow Brick Road." Yeah. Baby writing, baby Bernie jumping, writing "Ding Dong to Mario." <laughs> like my favorite words. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. It was just one of those things where I've seen that movie. God, you know. Probably close to a hundred times. And yeah, never really thought about it being a special effects movie in the thirties. Wonder if it was like one of the first that had like non-practical effects. Yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, really good. Even the like shit at the end, the wizard's head like blown up on the screen, all big. Like mm-hmm. I don't really know. I guess like the projector. But I don't know. It reminded me of like a conversation that four of us had one night where it was like, could you rebuild a camera? And it's like, absolutely not. I have no idea how a camera works. <laughs> like, you can give me like, here's all the stuff you need to make a camera. And I would just like bang it together a bunch. I don't know what it is. I don't know the science behind it. But I don't know. It's all, yeah, it's also just a, it's a classic. I mean, it's a top hundred movie. Easy. All time. Chad, I know you didn't have anything specifically prepared, but anything that you've been watching lately that you want to talk about? Well, yes, I just... Me and my wife Katie just did a marathon run through all the Mission Impossible movies. Uh, I, had seen I think the, I think the word "run" is a great choice. Yeah, Sprint well, marathon, I and, I, and I say that no, we did not sit down and watch all six six movies back to back. It was like three nights of six. two movies apiece, I believe. Um, I had seen the first one. Or I think I think we went and watched it in the theaters. Uh, the second one and third one I had seen but completely forgotten. So it was yeah. basically like a new watch. And then the final three, it was the first time viewing. Uh, fun. Just so fun. They are so fun. I mean, in Tom Cruise. I know T.D.'s talked about it. Uh, deserving an Oscar for like doing stunts like that should be out there. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I was petrified and couldn't believe... He actually tied himself to the side of this big bomber plane <laughs> as it takes off. I mean, it was just... Yeah. You're probably... I mean, I remember the first time I learned about Tom Cruise doing the stunts in those movies because I thought, wow, they made this look really real. <laughs> and then I went and read about how they did that 
and that was they got a crazy man to star in their movie <laughs> and hang off the side of a fucking airplane. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, it was, like I said, it was it was it was fun. Um, if you're looking for plot, you know, not there. But if you're looking for uh, something that will keep you on the edge of your seat the entire. I don't know how many hours is it to be against uh, all oof. six movies, but like it'll do 15. it. Yeah. yeah, but it's a it's it's a thrill ride. It's highly enjoyable, and yeah, enjoy it. So something that we like to force people to do: um, how would you rank them if you feel confident in ranking them from your least favorite to your most favorite? You should well, feel very confident in your least favorite. Yeah, the least favorite is by far number two. Number two is dog shit. Mission Impossible. Woo! Yeah. 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 It, was, it was the Fred Durst of the Mission Impossible. And as I say that, there are John Woo movies that I genuinely love and have fun watching. Yeah. But it is so over the top that I found myself in every scene where a car is spinning against another car <laughs> and it slows down and their hair flies into the wind as they stare each other longingly in the eyes. I just have to yell... That's John Woo. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I like how when they're riding motorcycles at each other in that movie and they both jump off the motorcycle so they can collide like and an hug. Yeah. Air hug. Yeah, it's... Magical mystery tour. Mm. You'll, get it, you'll get it later. <laughs> that's the... That's the, the we just want to... You need Ian Malcolm to go talk to John Woo. Which is like... You were so focused on whether you could. <laughs> you didn't think about whether you should. Yeah, but two by far at the least. Um, <clears throat> how to rank the rest? Um, because I watched them back to back to back to back, they all kind of have bled together in my head. Um, I feel like the, the last three I could separate from their big action scenes, which are four is Burj Khalifa, five is underwater spinning tube, and fun. six is helicopter battle. Yeah, the helicopter battle. I, I do, six I do is say, like a two-hour battle scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do got to say the most recent one probably is Tops. Um, even though how much I did love Philip Seymour Hoffman, I believe that's three. Yeah. Uh, great villain, did a great job. Just the over-the-top action scenes in six just win it. Yeah, that's why I think four and six are probably my favorites. And, and because no, that's why you're watching the movie. Right. I mean, that's why you're yeah. watching Mission Impossible. You want to see. You want to see him jump out of the Burj Khalifa. You want to yeah. see two helicopters fighting in the air, <laughs> you know, which you get. And so, yeah, so it's a definite bottom, definite top. I think you could just shuffle the middle. I mean, there there's scenes. I think that's fair. Yeah. There's scenes I like in each, but nothing really. That I can say stands out above the rest. The Burj Khalifa was really cool. Uh, the villain, Philip Seymour Hoffman, is great, and it's hard to place one over the other. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I'm kind of with you. I think six and four, which is Burj Khalifa and the newest one, I think you could shuffle at the top, and I'd be fine with. And then there's probably like one and three. After that, five. Any order of that is fine, and then. Two. I rate highly. I rate five more highly than you do, but I rate six the highest. Six fallouts is just, it just gets. I think it's the most recent one. Just gets why people go to the see those movies so well. Does its job, or why most people go to movies. Period. Yeah. 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 It's pure entertainment. I mean, it's it's all but cemented in my top ten for this year. Fallout yeah. is. 
So, but cemented. I still remember. <laughs> I still remember uh, sitting in the theater watching the end of that movie, and uh, you know, Ethan's hanging off a cliff with just by hand, and uh, the bad guy thinks he has the upper hand, and I'm sitting there thinking. You clearly have not seen Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> this guy, this crazy man does this for fun. He does it for fun and then listens to Limp Biscuit. Right. <laughs> so, wow, that, that, when you see that shot in 2, you're like, wow, it's so pretty. Look at Crazy Tom Cruise and then fucking Limp Biscuit starts playing. You're just like, I'm tired of this movie. <laughs> All of a sudden, this went from real excited to bummed out. This movie's going places that I don't want to go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, remember, I squealed with delight when uh, he was in the plane in Fallout and it just starts sliding down the ravine or whatever. Oh, yeah. I, just, I think I may have clapped. Just <laughs> not like, not like well done, but just like a baby would clap when, yeah. he's, when he's just wildly entertained. I was just like, yay! <laughs> I do think one more thing about the whole series. Simon Pegg is a great addition to that cast. He's so fun in that role. Yeah, who's he? He replaces someone from the original trilogy for levity. Is it? It's not really Ving Rhames, but it kind of is Ving Rhames. Ving Rhames is the only one who's he's in every movie except one. I think yeah, he's in all. Oh, that's right. He's in the very end of one of them. Okay, yeah. uh, five. He's in the very very end. So Ving Rhames is always there. Simon Pegg's just a. He he does. You're right, though. He does. He kind of kind of replaces John Renault before you find out he's evil in one sort of kind. Of. I think he, I think he does replace Ving Rhames in terms of uh, when he was first introduced. I think he was sort of he he replaces him not in in a character replacement, but right. in a uh, utility replacement. Yeah, we need we like need someone to light that mood guy. a little bit. Yeah, he's the tech guy who's actually in IMF. Yeah, Ving Rhames is you know. Blacklisted from right. yeah. before the trip, the series starts. Anything else of note? Don't have to if you don't want to. Let's see. Um, <clears throat> me kid, what we watched? We watched the Nun. Ugh. Oh, <clears throat> do you like that series? Is that a, a uh, uh, actually uh, went into it not knowing it was part of this sinister uh, conjuring. Conjuring. conjuring 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 yes. Didn't know that it was part of that. I uh, don't think you really need to know that. I mean, you know what you're getting into. It's it's going to be uh, jump scares and uh, spooky faces. Spooky faces, <laughs> and, and that's about what you get. So this is the documentary about Nancy Pelosi's upbringing <laughs> to steal a joke from SNL. <laughs> no, it it was okay. Um, if you're into if if you like The Conjuring, you know, it's right up your alley. If you're not into it, probably not. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think it brings anything you haven't seen before. Tried to watch The Conjuring with Chris and Cassandra one night about eight years ago. That was Insidious. Oh, that was Insidious. The we movie, the movie we on his podcast watched. combined those two. <laughs> we keep trying to jam them together. Yeah. But yeah, TJ's not the type who would want to watch The Nut. Uh, uh, Insidious made me wash dishes in another room. I was so scared. <laughs> he kept peeking around the corner and like, you a good guy's watching the movie. You done yet? I want to play Go Fish. <laughs> Sweet, The Nun. I will make sure that never appears on my watch list. Hopefully Cassandra <laughs> doesn't know it exists. That's my plan. So, uh, my, my turn. You decide. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure Chad was done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I watched a handful of movies. Some I'll talk about more than others. Uh, let's start off with two 
comedy specials that I watched. Uh, one was uh, Hannah Gadsby, Nanette. I'm which so is happy someone else has seen that now. You seen it? Yes. Uh, you said it too. Yeah, I've seen it. It was uh, yeah, it was really good. It was un- it was uh, not exactly what you're accustomed to completely from comedy specials. In fact, I hesitate to even label it as a comedy special. Yeah. It is a monologue that is in parts very funny and in parts very traumatic to listen to. Um, very emotional. Yeah. But uh, it's sort of in the style of stand-up, mm-hmm. but definitely takes a turn mm-hmm. to where you're... You you almost not sure if you feel comfortable laughing at certain parts. Yeah, that's almost exactly what you described it to me. Yeah, and she she calls out the audience for not laughing at one of the at like one of the like quote unquote jokes she tells, and she goes she she points that out. She's like, you know, like, and this is what the reaction is going to be from now on. Like, it's some of this just isn't it's it's not funny to people, right? it's it's it, it's just sort of it's a, for people who don't know it's, she's a uh, um, lesbian stand up comic from Tasmania Aust- yeah from Tasmania and uh, it's a show she did I guess last year earlier this year at the Sydney uh, maybe at the Opera House I'm not sure it's somewhere in Sydney yeah and uh, she sort of frames it as her retirement from comedy and she explains why. But um, I do recommend checking it out. I think it's it's a worthwhile watch. I think it's a really important piece of media in this era. And not to get all like now that everything's me too, but like it is it is a per, an underrepresented perspective of a comedian who feels hamstrung by expectations mm-hmm. in comedy and as a woman and as a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And she kind of discusses the intersection of that in a way that. Most people don't consider, and it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, the other comedy special I, I watched, which uh, several years old, I'd never watched it, was uh, from 2013. Mike Mer- Mike Berbiglia, My Girlfriend's Boyfriend. So good. Also not a traditional comedy show. He is, uh, I think I compared it more to um, meticulously planned storytelling. Yes. Which is, uh, he can go off on a long tangent and return to his central point, like, you know, without any hesitation or, or whatnot. And it's really impressive. And, Is this uh, the one with the, uh, I'm sorry, he's my favorite stand-up, so I know, and I, they blur together with me. This is his second stand-up so special. Is this the one where he talks about the T-Bone car wreck? Yes. Okay. That's fantastic. It's a great story. Yeah. And, and the way he... Super he, sad! Yes, and the way he threads the beginning of his story through the everything weaves together... It's really fantastic. He's he's an excellent storyteller. Yeah, I was a huge fan. I love Burbigs. Mm-hmm. You ever listen to any of his stuff, Chad? I don't think so. He's super dry. Yeah. Um, his 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 probably his his most famous stand up bit is the what I should have said was nothing, but what I did say, and he kind of it, it's it's his stand up special where the whole thing is about like a comic's brain and how it's kind of broken into <coughs> like being inappropriate or humorous when the context is never right. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's he's really clever. Yeah. L- clever comedy. 
Yeah, it's really good. Yes. Sleepwalk With Me was a movie he did based off a stand-up. So I had seen that. That's all of his that I had seen was the movie. So it's pretty much based off a same stand-up story that he told. Yeah. He's got, he suffers from like severe sleepwalking. I don't know what the term for that is. Somnambulism. Somnambulism. Yeah, it caused him to walk out of a second floor of a hotel one time. Crashed out of a window. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's kind of neat that you put those two together because, what'd you say? Because... What I should have said, oh, what yeah. I think, and how that is a lot of what uh, the show Nanette was about, about the comedy that she was telling, should she tell it, and why. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, does it... But, yeah, yeah. interesting yeah. period. Yeah. Highly recommend both of those. I uh, watched a f- only about three movies this week. Uh, one was a 2018 movie that I know we've talked a lot about on the podcast, so I won't delve too far into it. But what if we want to? Well, you're welcome to. I watched uh, <laughs> I watched A Star is Born. So I went to the theater, saw A Star is Born. Uh, mostly echo what everybody else has said, which is just the performances are great. The relationships, for the most part in that movie, all feel very real to me. Um, I think... That's one of the strengths of the movie is that whether it's her and her dad, uh, him and his brother, and most of all the two of them, mm-hmm. their their relationship, it all feels very off. Uh, you know, why am I? You were about to say authentic. Yep. And you backed away. I was from trying that. to lengthen that word unnecessarily. Oh, okay. Yeah. In <laughs> my <fine>. head. <laughs> um. Yeah, so it all feels very authentic, and uh, except for I think the the only the only real weakness of the movie is uh, the big bad wolf. Yeah, the the big bad. In the movie is so paper thin and obvious. The and PR guy, Bert Alley, super one dimensional, and and also sort of a caricature of that kind of like it's just he just want, it's just sort of the extremes of of everything. Almost like they wrote that character in like the thirties. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I, I agree. That's the worst part of the movie. It's also a character that none of us know. Like, we don't know if that's... I mean, there's, there's only, what, like, probably 30 of those people on the planet. You know what I mean? That are that size. That have that kind of pull. Yeah, kind of like the talent rep who can destroy you. Or just, like, instantly get you on SNL. Right. You know what I mean? So, I, I don't know. I agree with you that he was one-dimensional, but I don't know. I, just, I know the amount of depth he put into learning about the music business. And that's like reason number 88, he wanted Lady Gaga, sorry, Lady Gaga in the movie um, to make sure he didn't like get anything wrong. Um, but even if that is the right character, it's a movie and you can change it if you want to. Mm-hmm. And it was a little right, just boring when he was on screen. Yeah. We've but, talked about directors who make movies for their friends. You know, a, a director who makes a movie for an industry isn't going to make people like us love it. Changing that character a little bit. It's hard to elevate this movie more, but it could have. Yeah. That being said, though, I thought it was a very, very good movie. I've seen some criticism of the Dave Chappelle character, which I don't understand. I've seen some criticism of him being kind of tokenized, like the because there's there's almost zero representation of people of color until you ground Jackson Maine as like coming from this real like rootsy diverse neighborhood, um, and his you know he's a, a member of this like all black congregation mostly. And then Dave Chappelle's his best friend from back home, other than, you know, because he's not back home. But he was a musician. His, yeah, yeah, he was a musician. He's a retired musician. Um, so I've seen that criticism, and more than just from people who are like, Dave Chappelle should have been in it more because they like Dave Chappelle. Right. 
I can see that. I didn't really feel that way, but at the same time, I also didn't feel strongly about his character at all. Yeah. Like that, that's that sort of. I think it was there to show you that Jackson Maine does have like a a support system of enablers, kind of. Yeah. Like he didn't. He wasn't like we got to fix you up, man. He was just like, come on in, sleep in my daughter's bed. Yeah, get on sleep, your feet again. Sleep it off. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be the red herring of rock bottom. Yeah. Uh, which I think is important uh, for the Jackson main character because he has, like, you know, it's hard to say, but you know, like when he commits suicide, isn't rock bottom. You know, right. it's <laughs> he's he's on the uptick then. Right. Um, he's sober. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. You know, something that we do on this podcast. You don't have to if you don't want to. But, but it's the best. Okay. I think it's the best. I give it the edge over uh, Judy Garland. And then uh, the one from the 30s, I would put third. And then the... We uh, knew what your bottom was. The, the dog shit one from Chris Christopherson. <laughs> I think you rated them on Letterboxd. And that is how you describe that movie there as well. Yeah. <laughs> it is eternalized as dog shit in Brent's opinion. Yeah. yeah. It was awful. Um... <laughs> So, uh, the last two movies I watched is, this is sort of, uh, me feeling the clock ticking on, uh, Filmstruck. Ooh, good. And so... The sentence could have ended in a way that was very sad. <laughs> it's still sad, but not nearly as sad as it could have been. So, uh, <laughs> I watched... today, he's just like, TJ, and I'm turning around and like, what's up, Brent? He's like, just want to get another look at you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> Brent, be okay! <laughs> um, Somewhere you hear someone going... Yeah. And Brent just, I don't feel so good. <laughs> Mr. Stark? I don't feel good. Uh, no, yeah, a couple of Filmstruck movies that uh, I wanted to... Well, one I'd uh, been meaning to watch for basically as long as we've uh, I've had the subscription, which is uh, Seven Samurai. Never had seen Seven Samurai before. Uh, wanted to... It's a very, very long movie. Did not know exactly how long it was. Three and a half hours, right? Three and a half. Yeah. And uh, watched it in one sitting. So, it was really good though, right? It was really good. Yeah. yeah, it's a I mean it's one of those movies where you're not surprised it's really good. This inspired a generation of filmmakers. Yeah. And some of the greatest filmmakers of all time consider it one of their favorite movies. So I yeah, should not, not be shocked. Not to mention just the tie into a movie that a lot of people consider like the best western, the best like, you know. Oh, the Magnificent Seven, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah I mean it just it, you can see the influence from it in so many areas. It's a it's a masterpiece. It's uh, but it's not one that I really connected to as much as I kind of hoped to. Hmm. Like it's it's a movie I recognize as being as being perfect in its in what it was trying to do. Um, there were definitely the battle scene. The final battle was exhilarating um, <laughs> and an hour long, yeah. at least. Yeah, I mean it is, and it was a boy. It, it was it was really rough on my nerves watching that battle scene because it all felt very real to me. When people fall off horses in that movie, they don't fall like stuntmen fall. They land with a thud and they don't move. And I'm like, that's how I would land if I fell off a horse. I feel really concerned for this person. It's also a movie where they quickly tell you and show you that like we'll kill anybody. Yeah, like nothing, nobody's safe. But the you know the first part of the movie is really fun too because it's the fun of the Avengers. It's team building. Yeah, it's just you know you you need some good guys to come together and do something for these for this small town and it's you know it just starts with that one starts with one samurai and he just starts building the team and whatnot. That's why Magnificent Seven is my favorite western too. Same thing. Even the remake was 
good until the team was built. The team building was really fun in that's, the new one. That's why I play RPGs, because I love adding people to my party. It's always, like, the best part. Right. Yeah. It is, the, those are the most fun scenes, is, or, or when you meet new samurai. Yeah. You know, some of them are, are met in heroic in uh, heroic ways. Others are met in just funny ways. One is found chopping wood, and they, they, they're trying to talk him into joining him, and he's like, yeah, I can do that. And they said, well, what kind of experience do you have? He's like, I'm really good at killing people. And they said, <laughs> have you killed a lot of people? And he said, no, I am realized I'm very good at killing people, so... What I try to do is run away from fights, because I don't like killing people all the time. Uh, that character in the remake of The Magnificent Seven is played by Vincent D'Onofrio, and he does a great job, because he's kind of like on the spectrum a little bit, that character is. It's like, what are you good at? And then like the two guys that have been chasing him run up, and he just, you think he like throws a hatchet at one of them, like 30 feet away, and hits him in the chest, and he literally just runs at the other guy with a log he was cutting and just beats his head in <laughs> he's just like oh shit so you know that movie it didn't surprise me in any ways yeah. but it was it was a, a very worthwhile watch but the other movie was also a Japanese movie it's from the 60s that I watched it's called Harakiri uh, or Seppuku as it was alternately known that makes <laughs> which sense which is funny um, alternately known as Harry Carey <laughs> <laughs> yeah the movie asks the eternal question of, if you were a hot dog, <laughs> would you eat yourself? If you were a sword, <laughs> would you stab yourself? Uh, I'd never heard of this movie before. And uh, it's about a different director. I want to say the last name is Kobayashi. Was, uh, is not related to the usual suspects, though. Um, but uh, it's about this uh, this ronin who has been out of work for a while. And uh, because it's a time of sort of setting a new era of peace. Okay. But at the end of the samurai era, so there are all these samurai who, you know, existed for, I mean, it was their job to go to war and whatnot, but now there are no more wars to fight. And so a lot of them, a lot of clans are sort of going under and putting a lot of samurai out of work and they become ronin, but nobody needs samurai anymore. Right. <clears throat> so he... Kind of like the Antonio Banderas movie, Ronin. Oh, really? Is that one that? I mean, kind of. Okay. Yeah. Um, Probably what it got its inspiration from, because that yeah. movie was dog shit. <laughs> Keanu um, was in another one, right? What? Keanu? He was in 47 Ronin. Yeah. yeah. That is unrelated. That is that is a movie set in the future. Kind of. And then there's also a Robert De Niro movie <laughs> called Ronin that's really good. Uh, but... Uh, to the movie you did watch. The movie I did watch, <laughs> yeah. This, uh, this older Ronin shows up to a still-existing clan requesting to commit harakiri on their property which is uh, seen as a a more honorable way to die and you'll be better rewarded in the afterlife if you would die with more honor and uh he shows up he's very certain that he wants to do this but they the clan is kind of uh hesitant because they've had a rash of of samurai asking to do this in hopes of being taken on for uh get the clan taking them on as an employee. And so they're suspicious of a lot of people, or some clans just don't want to have to deal with it, and so they will pay people money to go away because a lot of these Ronin are destitute and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so they'll just say, just take some money, go. Um, this clan warns him by telling him a story about a younger Ronin who came to them earlier in the year and uh, with the same request. And... 
they f- basically force that Ronin to go through with it. They accept and do not give money. And that was their stance they decided to take. Hmm. And uh, they go in the in the flashback story, they're kind of cruel in certain ways. And sort of as they conclude that story, they're telling him that story to try to dissuade him to try, so that he will just get up and leave. That's yeah. what they want. <clears throat> and that's when you start realizing he is not foreign to the story that they're telling. He knows the story that they're telling. Ah, he's going there. And he has different motives in mind for the rest of this, for his, for, and that is where this movie really starts to fun. take hold of you. It does sound really, really fun. And, um, it becomes a very tense showdown because, uh, you know, the samurai back then, they had these codes and they were, they very strictly adhered to these codes. And so he uses those codes and the, this is going to say the illogic logic of those codes against them mm-hmm. and tra- basically puts them into logical traps of sorts where, you know, he says, I get to make this demand according to your code, this, you know, some, I get to demand X and he has already set it up so they cannot, uh, comply. And so it becomes a very tense movie. I highly recommend it. It's one of it. it it was a movie I have just instantly loved. So much fun to watch it play out. And uh, highly recommend it. It's called Harakiri. Yeah, I'm super excited to give it a watch. Yeah. yeah. Check that out. So, um, but speaking of uh, killing yourself, should we talk about Survivor? Uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, Dan's <laughs> uh, self-disembowelment. Oh, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was surprised that it got played. That the, I don't know if I got played correctly this season. I didn't, yeah, I didn't really think it was going to happen. I thought it was too tough. Yeah, I thought it was a tough needle to thread, and the way they played it, about the best way you can play it. it. Perfect. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you walk, you flood an idol out. And it doesn't even get used. Yeah, well, the combination but. of what they had, they had the still a vote with a 6 to 5 disadvantage. Yep. So they still a vote to gain that advantage of 6 to 5. The only other thing that can break that is if the person you pick plays the idol. So, therefore, play the idol and on that person, you guaranteeing who you're sending home. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great insurance policy. Even if he didn't. That's the thing with voting for Dan. They suspect he has an idol. So they're getting rid of the idol either way. And they're they're removing an idol from the Goliath's hands, mm-hmm. and in and, and playing the idol nullifier also just gets rid of the person who's been getting immunity in idol or from challenges. It's it's a you know maybe overkill um, with stealing the vote too, but damn if it didn't make for a great tribal. Yeah. And I think it was it was an overkill. It was absolutely needed. Yeah. I mean, well, well, they could have thrown like I said, you could they could have thrown. To someone else, and they didn't know that that the that the Goliaths were going to split votes, mm-hmm. um, and kind of uh, eat their own young by a couple of them. Uh, I think Brent or TJ was talking about before that we casted splitting the votes in case the Davids had an idol that they played correctly. Uh, and they did; they had one that <clears throat> he probably would have played, and Angelina would have gone home. Yeah, Christian now has an idol, right? Yeah, it was another really fun episode. 
in what has been just a remarkably fun season. Yeah, excellent season. Excellent season. One of the best casts I've seen ever. Yeah, it has to be really excited about what's upcoming. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking there's going to be a mad dash in the woods to find what may be laying there now that uh, so many advantages are being used and have now been used up. And There's only the one. That, yeah, there's only one advantage out there now. It's it just one Christian's idol. Christian's idol. Christian's yeah. idol. Zans so imagine, will be re-hidden. Yeah, I imagine so. And I imagine there's probably going to be more advantages out there as well. Yeah. They're being played so well. This They're being played... At, the advantages are being played much more effectively than in previous seasons and are just making great TV. I, I find it very hard that they're, they won't be placed back out. Also, I think another strength of this season is the production. Uh, Survivor has edited the season in a way where Aside from Allison, who we've really come to know in the last couple of weeks, I feel like we know every character. Mm-hmm. And, and and there are there are many seasons where at this point there are still characters who I mean, maybe I know their name, but I don't know I don't know who Chelsea is. I don't know the kind of game she tried to play. Right. From a couple last years season. ago, JP was, you know, mm-hmm. down there to the final seven or eight, and I didn't know a first thing about JP. He right. had no personality. All the all the players in this game have a personality to me. When I see them on the screen, I kind of know how they think. I know their strategies. And that makes the whole season way more fun to watch. I think Carl's our last unknown. Yeah. I feel like... I feel like, And he's playing a really pivotal role in these last two tribals. Mm-hmm. You know, he and he was, you know, part of the uh, gunpowder plot last week uh, to get rid of John. And he's obviously the one who played the idol nullifier and... You know, it's 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 interesting because we haven't had a deep dive on him the way we have with everyone else. Um, but I think that we've just seen the last person who is not a survivor expert go home. I think everyone else remaining on the cast is an expert. Yeah, the only one I might question is Kara, possibly, and that's because of. Uh, and that's just because I, I remember in some of her pregame interviews that she kind of gave uninteresting answers to, like, what survivor do you compare yourself to? And she uh, said, Parvati, which is what any pretty girl just says if they don't know what else to say. But that's the thing, though, is that she plays and knows that game really well to the point where at the beginning of this episode she was like, I need to distance myself from Dan because it's bad for my game. Yeah, where it's like, oh, so you understand the complexity of the showmance and how the falling out goes. Mm-hmm. So maybe she is close to poverty because she that's who she emulates, because that's her personality. Possibly. She's gotten, I think she is playing better now than she was at the start of the season. Kara. Yeah. yeah. Um, everybody's playing really well right now. Mm-hmm. Man, Dan's um, little hissy fit on the beach at night, though, was... Nobody's talking to me. Yeah, I didn't even see y'all over there. <laughs> what? I can tell you, with how great this season is, is that now we're we're sitting with a five five split. Usually about this time, you're kind, you, you kind of know how it's going to play out. You, you have at least two or three guys who's probably going home next. I have no clue. Uh, I think Carl no and who's Mike going aren't going to win. Honestly, at this point, I think that Angelina could, if she, if she plays the right moves, and I think she has it in her more than Mike or Carl do to make crazy tribal moves. I can see her getting votes. 
Like, yeah, I, and I, see, I said two weeks ago. I, said I good. see Angelina hanging around because she, she's, she's a hateable. shield. She's a shield. Yeah. Somebody yeah. that you can, if but something gets turned on you, you can place her right in front of you. Like, this is the week to get her. It's scary for somebody to have that as a shield, though, when she's so cunning and conniving. I think, I think. But she just has the ability to make a move, I feel like. Right. Whereas I think, Carl and Mike seem like they're too, like. But then again, she's also been exposed mm-hmm. by playing too hard. It would be really hard for her to get back into the driver's seat effectively. <coughs> yeah. I think it, it, she just has way too huge a target on the back. She has to pay. She has to play in the back seat for at least. Yeah. For me, she's kind of straddling that line between the two things you're talking about, which is like, on the one hand, I think that's what everybody, this is what everybody is having to think about Angelina at this point in the game, which is, which is, on the one hand, I can probably beat her down the line. She's not very likable. Mm-hmm. She's kind of playing too hard. On the other hand, of all the people in this game who could just complicate my own game too much, Angelina might be at the top of the list. Yeah. yeah. Like, she might be the kind of person where it's like, I would love to sit at her. I would love to sit next to her at three. I don't know if I can get to three if she's still here. She could easily fuck it up. Yes. Yeah. yeah. She's the type to go ahead and, I mean, she's going to cut throats as, as she needs to. And yeah. why should that be mine? But continues to be a great season. Another great, or this past week's episode would be a huge episode in any other season, I think. It's probably not the best episode of the season. Oh, it's definitely not the best right. episode of the season. But it's, and it's, this season's just had so many big moments. Has there been a, I mean, I really think maybe. Maybe the Lyrsa boot episode is maybe the weakest episode of the season. Yeah. Just because, yeah. I mean, but it's still interesting. But we've had, had so much so much pre-merge that is normally so forgettable. Mm-hmm. Pre-merge was great this year. Well, and now it's, nice. it's where the merge has not been disappointing. Yep. At all. So. Any predictions on who goes home next week? Who goes home next we should, week? We should start doing that. I mean, if I'm if I'm a bet man, it's it's Angelina. Angelina. <clears throat> I don't know how long Alec can keep playing his game, but I think that he's a such a strong candidate for winning individual immunity that I can't I can't good conscience pick him. I'm a toss up between Gabby and Mike White. I think I think this is I think this is going to be the episode. To kind of cut the weak member of your team out. Yeah. I think Gabby. Uh, reason I say Gabby is she has issues with paranoia. Like when the pressure cooker gets on, she panics. Mm-hmm. And with it being a 5-5, five, five, the Davids not having the art, artillery artillery that they've had in the mm-hmm. past two votes. Um I think that causes her a disservice. She tries to make a ill-advised move, and was and will seal her fate. I'll say that the Goliaths do start to recognize what Alec is doing, and take a shot at him, and that the the blow glances off and hits Kara <laughs> instead. Mm-hmm. I could. I think Alec dodges it, recognizes what he needs to do, maybe with Allison. Maybe brings Allison along, and uh, they take out. The Angelina vote will not go undiscussed. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see Angelina going home soon, but I don't know. Picked Kara. Probably all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Probably Christian. Yeah. Um. Breezy. Uh, yeah, not a whole lot of news. There's been some uh, big trailers this week. New uh, Lego Movie Two trailer. Yep, looks fun. I'm sure it will be. And then the much discussed live action Lion King trailer. Oh, the trailer was incredible. If there's a live shot for shot remake of that cartoon, I'm totally in. Yeah, that, that's what the teaser is. Again, saying it. it's essentially the trailer for the Lion King shot live action with the voiceover from James Earl Jones, mm-hmm. who's back in for this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> we also have uh, the uh, Andy Circus directed uh, Mowgli getting a trailer last week. Mm-hmm. Um, is I think David said that it was an interesting flex with the Jungle Book live action being so good. <clears throat> Read that uh, two Spider-Man spinoffs are going to happen. Some s- two movies are coming out in 2020 that are spinoffs of Spider-Man in some way, shape, or form. Okay, and I don't know what that entails. Also read that uh, you know the big thing in TV is uh, pulling out hits from the 90s and 80s and and adding new seasons, getting the whole cast back together. And apparently, in yet another one that nobody's really clamoring for, Northern Exposure is going to be getting oh, a, wow. like a, a new season. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so weird. Like, yeah, it's like Murphy Brown. Like, no one really, really wanted this right <laughs> yeah. now. Um, Thanks. Your show was good. Yeah. Uh, but a a show that we uh, appreciate on this podcast, uh, Netflix announced Ugly Delicious is getting a second season. Cool. So uh, David Chang docu series is I like coming back. Sh- I like that show. We also have a, a date. I don't have it, so this is bad news. But in the next month or two, Brooklyn Nine Nine is coming back. Yep. On NBC. Yeah, their their NBC season, which is I'm so glad that show got brought very back. highly marketed. Yeah. Is there any D word on if American Gods is going to have a season two or not? I haven't heard anything. That's the thing. I've heard that's a troubled production and whatnot. And that's the thing with those like pr- those premium cable channels is they can shelve a show for a year, mm-hmm. um, take some time and digest <laughs> and make their money back on you know streaming platforms and. Like DVD, Blu-ray sales, word of mouth, and then you know ramp up the second season. Pearl Ian McShane, Deadwood, and <laughs> well, Dead, Deadwood's Deadwood's getting a movie. It's yes, getting yes, movie I heard conclusion. it's getting a movie. I'm very excited. Huge fan of Deadwood. Yeah. So what's coming out at the movies? So you've got one wide release. Uh, the Possession of Hannah Grace is coming out, but you do have. Uh, let's what's, see. What's that about? It's uh, about this girl, Hannah Grace. She possesses a spoon. It's actually She's kind possessed of possessed by the. Dog. It is her only possession. It's actually kind of a cool bend on the possession exorcism movie, where it is told from the perspective of from the morgue after a woman after Hannah Grace dies from an exorcism being performed on her, uh, and then kind of all the spooky shit and jump scares that happen in the morgue to the people who are. Uh, taking her in. Wow. It looks horrifying. It looks terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got a preview for it before Halloween. Scarier than Halloween. She gets locked <laughs> in a in a trailer uh, in the, like one the, of the, the drawers, drawers dead bodies with with all the demon bodies just in the yeah. Oh. Pass. <laughs> There's a great scene in the trailer where they're like so since you died uh, during an exorcism, you sure you got this? And Chris is like, my answer would be, no, <laughs> I do not have this. I need an old priest, a new priest, a baby priest, a dead priest. Give me all the priests. 
Um, but you do have two movies expanding this weekend, and uh, this is where our picks are probably going to come from. You get uh, Roma expanding. It'll be on Netflix soon, yep. but it is in select theaters to qualify for the Oscar run. Go see it there. We got a buddy, Al, who's been on the podcast, who he went and saw Battle of Buster Scruggs in the theater. He went and saw Mudbound in the theater last year. Yeah. I'm sure he'll go see Roma this year. But it's going to get nominated for Best Foreign Film, and it's probably going to get nominated for a shit ton of director. Cinematography. Best Picture. Um, it's Alfonso Cuaron's newest effort. You also get the movie that I've been excited for for 12 months, expanding this week. The Favorite expands. That's the Yorgos Lanthimos, the uh, writer-director of Dogtooth, uh, The Lobster, and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Didn't write this one, but he is behind the camera. Movie um, looks fun. Olivia and Coleman, crazy. Rachel Weiss, Emma Stone. Uh, getting ridiculously good <clears throat> reviews early on. Good. So... I always refer to that director as Lars von Trier Light. <laughs> kind of is. Yeah. With like some comedy though. Yeah. There's Lars- just some shit where I'm like, huh, huh, huh. Like in The Lobster when she's just like grinding on him. I'm like, this is funny. <laughs> it's like Lars von Trier if he only hated himself a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and not himself and the world. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. So obviously my prediction, my prediction, my suggestion is uh, to go check out The Favorite. Um, and it's expansion. That's I'm your favorite? very, very excited about that movie. Yeah, favorite. <laughs> Just because it's not the American spelling doesn't mean it's exceptional. I'm going to pick Roma. Uh, big, big fan of the uh, that trio of directors. Um, and I'm excited to see Roma. Yep. Brent, what you got? Um, man, both those are very high on my list. Uh, I think I'd be... if. I'd be more excited to go see The Favorite, I think. But I'm going to make a point to go f- watch both those movies. So, Chad, do you got to pick? Between those two? No. I mean, you I can, pick, trailer. You can <laughs> pick The Exorcism of Hannah Grace. No, I'm probably, if, if I had to go to a theater right now, I'm going to see last week's release, Creed 2. Uh, yeah, <laughs> lasting recommendation. <laughs> did anybody pick that last week? Yeah, we, we, we picked, picked, picked everybody. One of each. One of each. Yeah. I've yet to see that. Huge nice. Rocky fan, so yeah. I've heard good things about Creed too. It's supposed yeah. to be. Yeah, I was yeah. Uh, not super excited about it with Coogler not being involved, but Coogler's Coogler's a little busy. Yeah, yeah. Coogs. Well, go. Ah, go see uh, the Creed two. Uh, if you didn't have a chance to get away from your terrible families at Thanksgiving, or uh, you know, go see the favorite. It's the favorite of these two. Uh, or go sit and we'll read subtitles on a black and white movie. <laughs> and that's been Talkie Talk. You can check out our website, themediabyus.com. You can check out our Facebook groups, Movies by Us, TV by Us, or Games by Us. Send us an email at themediabyus@gmail.com. With any suggestions or just you know words of encouragement or discouragement, either one will do. Uh, you can tweet with us at the media by us. You can subscribe to the podcast on the podcasting app of your choice. We're still, we're, I'm still working on Spotify. Still working on this. They seem to still not be convinced we are a real podcast. <laughs> but, um, We've only done a couple of these so far. We should wait till we build up a catalog. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Leave us a rating. And last but not least, thanks to the Willow Walkers. Thanks. Willow Walkers. 
They do the intro music. You can find them on Spotify. Yes, yeah. you can. I need to maybe track them down for some tips on that. <laughs> and uh, thanks to Boo Rifa. Also on Spotify. All these Spotify people <laughs> giving us intro and outro music. Thanks, I guess. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, Chad. <laughs>